The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds, smart investing starts here. Hello, and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. The Permission to Succeed podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who found that time in their lives to just go for it and become super successful. The genesis of this podcast is based on the inspirational lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and their world-changing impact, dreamers and doers. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place advisors can come to to grow their minds and businesses. Power your advice at iris.xyz. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. And our guest today is Hugh O'Toole, who's the CEO of InnoView. And we're going to jump into the benefits area today. How does that sound? Sounds great. Well, good morning, Hugh. How are you? Good morning, Doug. How are you doing? I'm great. Um, so the big, let's just jump right into this. The big flag you're flying is human capital risk management. Can you talk about that for us for a little bit? Absolutely. Um, so human capital risk management is somewhat of a buzzword, but it's one of those phrases that uh, means a lot of things to uh, different things to different people. Um, when we use that at Inovu, we're really talking about an employer's relationship with their employees and how does how do, how what the employer offers through its benefit packages and other fringe benefits. How does that relationship between the employer and what they're offering? And the quality of life, the ability for that employee to protect their families, be financially sound, and be productive employees. What is that interaction? And then how do you use the data sets available to make sure that what you're doing from a design standpoint or what you're doing from financial wellness standpoint is accomplishing that objective, which is really what's good for the employee is actually good for the employer's financial statement. So we just use data working with great advisors, great consultants, both on the individual wealth management, retirement services, and also working with health and welfare consultants and property and casualty consultants. How do you bring that holistic picture of that individual employee and the group of employees together to do the best possible job with the money the employer is spending? I think a great way to talk and understand about this in a bigger way for our audience is to talk about what you've built over your career. And the first one was helping nonprofits get out of variable annuities. Touch on that for us. Sure. Um, you know, in my career, uh, now that I'm in my mid-50s, people will say to me, you know, you've been innovative throughout your career. I always say, I, I don't know about innovative. I think the three major things I've worked on are pretty obvious, but they are things that due to the fact that people had never done them before, I'm not sure everybody thought they were possible. So the first thing I did, I was a nonprofit employee as a youth counselor with juvenile delinquents in New York City, and then needing to get into a more financially stable environment to marry my college sweetheart I got into employee benefits. And as soon as I did, I realized that what we provided to our for-profit clients in a 401k plan was so much uh, more superior 
than what we gave to nonprofits. So I just looked at that and said, why do for-profit employers get load-waived mutual funds and nonprofit employers are stuck in variable annuities with huge mortality admin fees, clone funds, and back-end loads? What I did with my organization and a lot of great people around me is we just started creating omnibus accounts through 403b7 so that that nonprofit employee could get the same exact investment product that a for-profit employer and their employees could get. Little did we know that really was never done on a systematic basis before. We started growing at a really, really rapid pace. And then we were blessed enough that uh, a great Midwestern insurance company came in and bought us. And that, I would say, is now the typical model that nonprofits use across the U.S. And we did that. It might sound very basic, but we were doing that in the early to mid-1990s before anybody really was doing it. And like I said, I think that's pretty obvious, but whether it was due to compensation or it was just a legacy system that predated 401k, nobody really had done that for the nonprofit community before. And then you jumped into something completely different, um, kind of the convergence of the benefits world and the investment world. Correct. Yeah. So after a great run with that Midwestern insurance company, I retired, uh, ended up just to get to know the Northeast again, uh, joined another great insurance company in the Northeast and was running their distribution client management system for the overall worksite products. And one thing I noticed, again, under obvious, is without a defined benefit plan where the employer is on the hook for the investments um, and the contributions for their employees. By this point in the late 2000s, um, we, the employer, the CFO, seemed to be pretty disconnected with that defined contribution plan. So when we were in finals meetings, doing reviews, a lot of times I'd look over at the CFO and, and she would be looking at her phone checking emails, um, doing almost anything but really focused on what was going on on the 401k plan. So I took a sabbatical, went out with my son. We interviewed a bunch of CFOs, gave my most impassioned speech about why they should care about the financial outcome of their employees. And the CFO would typically stop me and you know, they would pretty much say to me, you know, Hugh, I hear what you're saying, but that's really not a primary focus of what we do. And I really don't get how that's connected to my business. So after that summer, I, I hooked up with a good friend of mine, Drew Murphy, Pat Davies, um, guys that I had worked with before. Um, and we looked at using big data to see this connection between the financial wellness, the retirement readiness of an employee population, when do they tend to separate from service based on their readiness levels? And then what was the effect to the employer from a wage, healthcare, workers' comp expense standpoint? And if you would, we kind of created a DB, defined benefit formula, so that we could say to an employer, if you're doing a great job, this liability is not high. 
But if your people are not well and they're financially strapped, then they're going to stick around. And you have this pending liability on your financial statement through wage, health care, and workers' comp. So we're really just trying to create alignment that what is good for the employee is good for the employer on a long-term basis. And is this the part where it's using data to create a holistic picture for employees across all the benefits? Exactly, Doug. That's exactly what we're doing is to say that even though people manage the benefit packages and financial wellness separately, so you'll have somebody working on worksite products with an employee base at the same time, the employer just put them into a high deductible plan for health insurance and somebody else is trying to get them to use that limited discretionary dollar on a health savings account. And what you see is this interplay that the financial services world has siloed out the needs of that employee. But at the end of the day, all the risk and opportunity is holistic with that employee. You really can't separate it out into the pieces that the industry really has conveniently separated it out into. Are you seeing more interest in caring for the employee in this area because companies these days have to care about so much? Um, is there an upswing where companies are caring? Oh, I think, you know, I, very interesting. I said this to somebody recently. I think the HR and CFO staff at the employer sometimes is ahead of their advisors in understanding the holistic risk and the reward for both the employee and employer by doing a better job for that population. So absolutely at the employer level, we work with some amazing, through the consulting community, but we work with some amazing heads of HR and CFOs that totally get the relationship between somebody being financially trapped, how that affects their healthcare spend, and then they understand that based on what's going on in healthcare, that ultimately is going to affect, at times, who's going out on workers' comp. So that interplay, I think, at times is more obvious to the CFO and HR personnel than it is to the advisor consulting community. Is your data showing you anything? <clears throat> Excuse me about the employee and how they feel about this as well with what they're looking at? Absolutely. I mean, the, the data will tell you, and I know this firsthand from running a national sales client management sales force, which included employee education and asset retention, but that employee, and we've actually done pretty elaborate studies on this using real data where we took in a number of different data sets, starting with retirement readiness. Then we looked at how that readiness level affected when somebody separates from service. But as importantly, we were able to look at that readiness's relationship to things like body mass index, hypertension, um, diabetes. Um, and then in a really unique situation we had we actually were able to look at that and look at safety information for those same employees at the worksite so that you could actually see the connective tissue between somebody's financial wellness, how that affects their health, and then how that affects safety. 
And although that's intuitively logical, it's totally backed up by real data. And then you can see what levers you should be pulling. And I can give you examples of the different levers that can get pulled uh, based on what's really happening in that data. Can you give us one? Sure. So on the financial wellness side, one of the things, and this was working with two great consultants, um, but what we were able to do is we were able to look at um, that financial wellness. And one of the things we were able to see is how they were self-sabotaging the employee was based on reality. So you have somebody that possibly has an unexpected expense. The only asset they really had was their 401k profit sharing plan. So there was no rainy day fund. So what you would see is these employees, when they ran into a catastrophic financial event, would separate from service from the employer purely to get at their 401k profit sharing savings. They would then come back lower on the totem pole and wage scale. So they almost created their own death spiral financially. What the advisors did with that data, very basic, is they took part of the profit-sharing contribution, very small part of it, and they, they ended up working with the employer to have a matching program beyond their 401k, but actually to a credit union, so that over a six-month year period of time, those employees were able to create their rainy day fund so that they didn't have to create the death spiral when they ran into a, a really negative financial event. That's fascinating. Um, how can financial advisors tap into this to help with their clients? Because the 401k is actually is one part of a bigger picture. How can they do that? Yeah, so Doug, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I, I look at it like in the, in the financial services world today, more and more you're seeing private equity money or even just private money aggregating up the different silos that e exist within financial services. So what we see is, um, I was talking to a gentleman yesterday that actually rolls up financial services firms he rolls up benefit firms, um, property casualty shops. Historically, they did those roll-ups or aggregation within the silos. We're now seeing that one firm will actually have an, a wealth management group. They'll have a retirement group. They'll have health and welfare, and they'll have property and casualty. And what they're using is data to create one value proposition. So you can either do that through acquisition, but I would argue some of our most successful advisors, benefit consultants, uh, property and casualty consultants, have no physical or financial relationship, but they collaborate with each other, knowing that the employer has one problem, not four distinct problems. So it's interesting, you'll see them do it either naturally or you'll actually see it be done by acquisition. The, the key part is just because you all sit in the same building doesn't mean you know how to collaborate. And to me, that's a bit of the holy grail 
for the financial services benefit organizations of the future? Can they really figure out how to bring holistic human capital risk consulting to the table? Or are they just comfortable staying in their silos? And what's your, what's your guess? I think it's very specific. I think when you put the right team together, the right incentives together, uh, we see it work. We see great consultants collaborating uh, with the other parts of the silo. Um, and then we see people that very logically, physically should be able to do it. Um, but without the collaborative spirit and without thinking of the overall employer um, versus just their individual needs, uh, you know, things that seem logical, uh, we're very early in the process and aren't currently producing results. Yeah. So how did you get here? Why financial services and why this area? Um, you know, my favorite expression in life is God makes straight with crooked lines. So um, I, I can't tell you, I think there are a lot of great people out there that have had a plan. I'm just not one of them. Um, I, I am very lucky after being a psych major, working with juvenile delinquents, that one of my five brothers introduced me to two great gentlemen that ran a benefit shop, ironically, that focused on nonprofit employers, right? So I had a unique advantage, even though I knew nothing about the business, I spoke nonprofit. And then um, I looked for things that were obvious. And, you know, those two gentlemen, you know, within four years made me a partner and gave me the autonomy to go solve problems that seemed obvious to me. And then my just natural curiosity, you know, of, you know, once I sold that practice, retired, really got bored, went back to another great firm just to re, uh, reintroduce myself to the Northeast and then got on another um, run where it really was about how do we bring personalized financial planning through the worksite. And I just absolutely love that. I, I still think the best job I ever had was way back when, when I did employee education meetings and then met with people one-on-one, -on -one, probably the most fun I ever had. And then um, again, I just saw, I really saw that it was becoming a price game with no benefit. And I knew that the only way to get results to be a priority was for the CFO to realize that people not being financially well was really bad for their financial statement. And that was the creation of viability. And then I was fortunate enough that, you know, a big company decided to buy viability and I got to spread that word around the country. And then I realized that doing it through algorithms was interested, interesting, but really what we do at Innovo is we collect the real data, the real readiness data, the real healthcare self-insured data, which is probably the richest data set you could ever get on an employee. And then we can collect the workers' comp, biometrics. And then, honestly, I was very lucky to bump into Inovu, become an investor board member, and then the lead investor asked me to become the CEO. And now I can take this amazing capability and really help the advisor consulting community go on this journey where data will declare what that employer should do next, not 
the fact that somebody resides in one benefit silo or the other. So that is under God makes straight with crooked lines. I'm ecstatic for what I get to do every day, but I can't tell you that was a roadmap I laid out 20 years ago. You've said a couple times, seeing what was obvious. Other other people didn't see those things. So it's seeing what was obvious, having an idea, and then giving yourself permission to go do it. So Mm -hmm. is that a good summary? I think it is. Absolutely, Doug. And there's challenges along those ways. There's barriers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I've always been very fortunate that I, I really have never had a monetary goal. And I've, you know, my wife and I started when we were very young. So as one guy once said to me out in Iowa one day, I got a long way to fall and still be up. So I've never been somebody that felt trapped to not go explore the next good idea. And I've also been very lucky with the people that have been in my life that I can bounce good ideas off with, partner with. Um, I've just been very fortunate. What success mean to you? You know, based on some life events, I think success now means to me is the work that I'm doing collaborating with great advisors, consultants around the country, are we truly helping that employer help a normal American um, provide for health care and provide for financial security for an average American? And if we're doing that, I get up every day fired up. Um, people wonder why I'm still fired up like I am, but I, I think what we do is a really good business, but it's also really important for our communities. Um, and that when that gets aligned and good ethics is good business, I get excited. What advice do you have for somebody who's on that crooked line and can't see the light and is trying? Um, just explain the crooked line to me for a second. I just want to make sure I answer the right question. <laughs> you said, you said one of your favorite sayings is the, is the crooked line, um, turn straight. So if somebody's kind of stuck on that crooked line and, and looking yeah. and straighten it out and find their way of their dream, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I would say I, 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 my belief is when you're more worried about the goal versus observing and listening you get stuck on the crooked line. I think I've been very blessed that I've been surrounded by a lot of people that say, what if, and so what? And that then it becomes obvious where you would actually turn at the different choices. And that's, you know, I I think listening gets you unstuck. I think sometimes when people get stuck, they have an achievement in mind versus kind of just getting to the right answer. And I know that sounds a bit idealistic, but that's been my experience. And people who want to learn more about your company can go to innovu.com, correct? That's right, Doug. Anything else you want to share about your, the company that they can, how they connect, connect with you? We have people throughout the country that if you reach out, we'll make sure um, we run through a demo of how straightforward the process is to help employers harvest some of that money that's sitting in our healthcare experience and then how to reallocate it or maximize it 
in order to get at that financial wellness, personal security that is our objective. Hugh, this has been just fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can't thank you enough, Doug. I appreciate um, you all listening to me. Take care. Thank you. For everyone thank at you. Iris Media Works, our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Permission to Succeed team, this is Doug Heikinen. Thanks so much. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Thompson IM Funds, Inc. For more information about Thompson IM Funds, please visit thompsonim.com. Thompson IM Funds. Smart investing starts here.